And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the one Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Nathai Gaucher. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. Well, hello once again, and welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming. Really glad to have you stop by this weekend. If you are listening online with Edmonton Sports Talk, then that means it's either a Saturday afternoon or a Monday evening. Or if you're one who has uh, downloaded this week's episode, either way, glad to have you with us. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's absolutely the best beef jerky I've ever had. You can't win friends with salad. That's why I get Wilhock Beef Jerky. And you can too. Three Edmonton and area locations in Leduc and Spruce Grove and West Edmonton Mall. Or if you're in Western Canada and you're not going to make the drive in just for beef jerky, you can go to their website, wilhockbeefjerky.com, and they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. Got a solid show for you again this week. I'll tell you who's joining us via the Troubled Monk hotline in a little bit. But first, let's get to some news and notes. And uh, usually, we'll look at uh, the scoring leaders across all the leagues that we talk about here or some playoff races. thought maybe this week we would look at uh, goaltenders from the various leagues and see who is having a uh, strong season. But as always, we start with the CHL's top 10. And really, virtually no change this week. Until you get to the uh, the later end of the top 10. Number one, the Saskatoon Blades out of the WHL. The London Knights are the top team from the OHL coming in at number two. And uh, Baycomo holding down the number three spot. The Drakkar having a really strong season in the queue this year. Then you've got the Memorial Cup host Saginaw Spirit ranked number four in the CHL. Followed by Drummondville at five. Portland at six. The Prince George Cougars at seven. And then there's a little bit of a shuffle. The Everett Silvertips move up to 8, Moose Jaw moves up to 9, and Halifax is now ranked 10th. Now let's talk about the goaltenders in the uh, CHL. We'll start with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and uh, Mathis Russo from the Halifax Mooseheads. I think we can all agree that save percentage, probably the most important stat for a netminder, unless you get into the fancy advanced stats and then maybe there's one or two other ones that you can dig up, but... Let's just go with the ones that are available to the public. And uh, Mathis Russo from the Halifax Mooseheads with a 930 save percentage through 31 games. He's also got a 24-3 uh, and three record this year and a 2.07 goals against average. Mathis Russo of the Mooseheads, top goaltender in the queue. William Russo, no relation, plays for Roy Noranda. He's next with a 925 save percentage. Then you have Nathan Darvo from Victoriaville with a 921. Samuel St. Alaire 
from Sherbrooke has a 916. And then there's a bit of a drop. Goes all the way down to Charles Edward Gravel. Plays for Bay Como. And Nicholas Russia of the Cape Breton Eagles. Both of those guys with a 907 save percentage. And I should point out, I'm only going with starters as well. Or at least guys who have played, let's say, in the CHL at least 20 games. Meanwhile, let's go to the Ontario Hockey League. And you'll notice right away a drop in save percentages here. Carter George of the Owen Sound Attack has the top save percentage in the OHL. It's only 916. I mean, hey, 916 is good. Don't get me wrong. But that's the best in the OHL. And from there, it goes to Ryerson Leanders of the Mississauga Steelheads. Those two guys both draft eligible this year. He's next at 909. We're already under 910 for best save percentages in the OHL. Uh, Michael Simpson from the London Knights is at 908. Liam Stutzka. Uh, of the Peterborough Peets at 9.04, and uh, Jacob Oster with a 9.01. In fact, Sam Hildebrand from the Barry Colts at 900. That's your top six in the OHL. Everybody else is below 900 save percentage. That really surprises me. I'd have to uh, dig into that a little bit more and maybe ask somebody who covers the OHL a lot why they think a save percentage are, I don't know if that's down or if it's just different in the OHL. Closer to home here in the Western Hockey League, Yonch Bunar of the Portland Winterhawks with a 9.34 save percentage is at tops. Now, caveat here, he's only played 20 games. He's been hurt a lot, so it's been a while since he got into some action. So keeping in mind, it's a smaller sample size for him. But uh, 9.34 save percentage, 171 goals against average. Until he got hurt, those are really good numbers. Then uh, you go to a team like Saskatoon, who... Uh, has become a platoon goaltending factory there in uh, the Bridge City. Evan Gardner, the rookie, has a 9.27 save percentage right now. He's played 22 games, but a 1.98 goals against average, looking really good. You've heard me mention Harrison Menigan a lot here on the program. Plays for the Lethbridge Hurricanes and plays pretty much every game, 42 games under his belt. He's got a 9.21 save percentage right now and a 2.48. He is third in the league. In that category, uh, another rookie having a strong year, this time up in Prince George, Joshua Ravensbergen, with a 9.16. And here's another guy who's dealt with injuries this year, Reed Dick of the Swift Current Broncos, Boston Bruins prospect, with a 9.14. And uh, Jackson Unger and Muscha also 9.14, as is Brett Merwald of the Vancouver Giants at 9.14. But again, compared to the OHL, where he, I think we had, what do we say, six, seven guys with a save percentage above 900. It's almost 20 in the Western Hockey League. Interesting. Uh, meanwhile, in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, the uh, White Court Wolverines have the top goaltender in the league, Ben Charette, with a 925. Charette is in his second year with the uh, Wolverines after uh, spending a, a little over one season in the North American Hockey League with the New Jersey Titans. Uh, he is an Ontario product, scheduled to go to Harvard next year, listed at 6'2 and 185 pounds, uh, having a really strong season for the White Court Wolverines. Then we've got Chaz Nixon from the Drayton Valley Thunder, who I don't think has a college commitment yet, but he's got a 920 save percentage. Again, a little bit smaller sample size, just 19 games this year uh, for Drayton Valley, but he started the season in the BCHL with the Nanaimo Clippers where he had even better numbers. Uh, keep in mind, Drayton Valley is not, you know, world beaters this year in the AJHL and haven't been for quite some time. 
a little bit surprised that uh, a college has not uh, managed to add him to their list. Listed at six foot three, two hundred pounds, nineteen year old from Oshawa, Ontario, bounced around a little bit the last couple of years, uh, but putting up some good numbers on some below average teams this season. That's Chaz Nixon, Sean Coots in a drum heller, Sherwood Park uh, product. Has a 9.17 save percentage. Not the biggest kid in the world. Sheet I'm looking at says 5.11 and 175 pounds. Also no college commit yet for the 19-year-old. And Julian Molinaro is next. Now he's played a ton. 40 games this year for the Calgary Canucks and holding a 9.16 save percentage. Another guy who's just under 6 feet tall. Uh, this is his first year in the AJHL after playing a couple Seasons in the Ontario Junior Hockey League, as he's from Mississauga. Uh, this is his last year of junior eligibility, and again, no college commit just yet. So it looks like there's some uh, some decent goaltenders in the AJHL that NCAA clubs still have a shot at. Meanwhile, in the uh, British Columbia Hockey League, great numbers from Ajit Paul Gundara of the Surrey Eagles, a 940 save percentage. This is the top team in the league, but a record of 21-4-1. He is going to Sacred Heart, having a heck of a season for the Eagles. A couple of players in the BCHL next in terms of save percentage who uh, don't appear to be starters on their team. So we'll skip down to uh, Will Ingman of the Penticton V's, an American, with a 9.20 save percentage, a, a buck 89 goals against average. Ingman is uh, headed to... The University of St. Thomas. He's from Plymouth, Minnesota. So not a surprise that he is going to a Minnesota school. Owen Bresson of the uh, Victoria Grizzlies comes next with a 920 as well. Ingman has a 920. So does Owen Bresson and Eli Pulver from Salmon Arm. All three of those guys with 920s. Uh, Bresson plays for right now for the Victoria Grizzlies. And uh, as of yet, does not have a college commit. He's young, 17 years old, and listed at six foot three. Not draft eligible until next year. He misses this year's draft by about two weeks. He's a Nova Scotia product, playing in the BCHL. So he goes uh, from one coast to the other, playing for the Victoria Grizzlies. The Shawinigan Cataract hold his uh, CHL playing rights. And I mentioned Eli Pulver from uh, Salmon Arm with a 920 save percentage. Pulver at 6'1 and 165 pounds, just recently committed. Saw this notice go up. He is going to play at Minnesota State for the Mavericks starting next season. Uh, meanwhile, in the USHL, another league where the goaltending stats do not look great. Uh, Hampton Slikinski is the top goaltender playing for the Fargo Force, who are, again, are by far the uh, top team in the USHL this season. He's got a 9.16 save percentage. Then it drops all the way down to Jan Shostak, whose name I probably butchered. Uh, he's with the Lincoln Stars through 24 games, 9.06 save percentage. And then it goes down from there. Again, only seven guys above 900, and that's including a Slovakian import whose name I'm not going to try. Uh, he plays for Muskegon. He's only got 11 games. So names you'll recognize probably. Adam Guyen, who uh, plays for the Green Bay Gamblers. Just a 903 save percentage. Calvin Vachon of uh, the Waterloo Blackhawks is at 902. And Carson Musser, who's a Phoenix Coyotes or Arizona Coyotes uh, draft pick, plays for the Madison Capitals. He's at 901. 
Now we compare that with the North American Hockey League and Jack Wieneke, the American, standing on his head for the Lone Star Brahmas right now with a 942 save percentage. That's through 20 games. He started the year with Maryland. Combined between the two teams, he's at a 939 save percentage. Wieneke does not have a college commitment just yet. Canadian Carter Richardson of the Maine Nordiques is with a uh, 933. The 18-year-old uh, also without a college commit at this point. Nick Erickson plays for the Minnesota Wilderness with a 932 save percentage. Max Beckford of uh, Wisconsin, he's a Canadian. He's only played 16 games, though. And in fact, uh, for guys who have played more than 20 games, it drops all the way down to uh, Latvian import Deves Roloffs, also with Lone Star with a 9.26 save percentage. And sometimes when you're on a really good team and the goaltenders have, both of them have very, very good stats, you start wondering, okay, well, is it the goalies or is it the system that the team plays? Run into that a lot with the Everett Silvertips. Let's get over to the NCAA. We actually see this week the Hockey Commissioners Association has come out with the uh, top 10 semifinalists for the uh, annual Mike Richter Award for the top goaltender. They are, in alphabetical order, Trey Augustine from Michigan State, Ryan Bischel from uh, Notre Dame, Justin Close, Canadian, with uh, Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, Vinny DuPlessis, another Canadian, he's at uh, Quinnipiac, Jacob Fowler of uh, Boston College, having a, a strong freshman season, Caden Emberico from uh, Colorado College, which maybe surprises me a little bit because his numbers are okay, but not as good as uh, others on this list. Uh, Kyle McLennan from uh, Wisconsin, who I think at this point would have to be considered the favorite, at least in my opinion. He has a 932 save percentage and a buck 89 goals against average. Uh, then there's uh, another Canadian, Tommy Scarfone at RIT. Ian Shane, who plays for Cornell, and uh, Jack Siebel with St. Thomas. And in that last case, Siebel, he's only played 12 games this year, so I'm not really sure how he makes this list. Certainly can't win when you've uh, only played that many games. But no denying his numbers are great in the limited action that he has actually played. All right, let's get to the guest list for this week's episode. All of them join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. The tap room is open and based in Red Deer. You can stop in, get some exclusive uh, beverages right on tap, or sit down and have some grub as well. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop. See what they have in inventory right now. There are ways you can place an order online and then pick up at the tap room. Or you can go to your local Alberta liquor store and uh, get your beverage of choice. Maybe you're after the troubled tea, the hard original tea, or some delicious daycation lager. Whatever you're after, you can find it with Troubled Monk. Three guests for you today. Uh, we're going to start things off with Chris Peters from Flow Hockey, continuing the conversation about the CHL and the NCAA and how CHL players potentially will still be able to play NCAA hockey. We'll get the latest from Chris on that. It's uh, an extended conversation, so grab a coffee, settle in. That'll be about a half an hour segment. Uh, from there, we will go with uh, the Colonel, John Mustard, draft-eligible player as we turn on the 2024 draft spotlight. He's a Canadian playing in the USHL. And uh, one of the top players, top full-time players, that is, uh, from that league this year. Of course, I'm not talking about the National Development Program players. But you got that Canadian Sasha Boisvert, who plays for Muskegon. American Trevor Connolly with the Tri-City Storm. And then potentially John Mustard, another Canadian. 
as the next guy to come out of that league. So we'll get to know him today, and we will end this week's episode with the goaltender of the Red Deer Rebels, who are in action against the Edmonton Oil Kings on Friday night and Saturday this weekend in a home-and-home. Goaltender's name is Chase Wootski, and he is also draft eligible and having a heck of a season. He is a WHL Goaltender of the Month for both December and January right now, and a major reason why uh, the Rebels have soared up the standings over the last couple of months. So, loaded show for you. Those are our three guests. We're going to begin with Chris Peters, but before we do, a reminder that at Pro Stock Hockey, it's your online source for authentic Pro Stock Hockey equipment, whether that's sticks or gloves, everything else. Keep tabs on what they've got coming in by following them on the old Twitter machine at Pro Stock Hockey. Chris Peters from Flow Hockey, he's up first. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Jake Neighbors from the Edmonton Oil Kings. Sawchuck. Here comes Neighbors driving away. Backhander scores! What a shot! Oh, Jake Neighbors backhander on the rush. It's 4-3 Edmonton. And you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Done, buddy. Want to come over and watch the game? I'll make a big salad. Uh, I don't know, man. Steve, come over and watch the game. I've got a massive salad here. Yeah, my wife needs me to go shopping with her. Mike, want to watch the game and eat salad with me? Who is this? Did I mention I've got a bunch of Will Hawk beef jerky, too? I'll be right over. I'm heading over now. I'm already at your front door. Will Hawk beef jerky, because you don't win friends with salad. Will Hawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. Back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, we begin this week's uh, episode in, uh, well, in uh, perfect fashion as uh, Chris Peters from Flow Hockey is back on the show. Chris, welcome to the uh, program once again. How are things for you? Gee, things are going great. It's always great to be with you. And yeah, I mean, it's... uh... The heat of the hockey season here. It's starting to it's starting to get some meaningful hockey being played here. As we're talking right now, it's Monday, so we got Beanpot final tonight and all of that stuff. But uh, what we're talking about has a little bit of a college flavor to it, as uh, we're going to explore the the whole conversation around the CHL and the NCAA, uh, maybe the NCAA doors being opened to CHL players. And uh, you, you and uh, and Brad Schlossman had a great conversation about this uh, a couple of weeks ago on on your podcast. Maybe before we continue on, where can people check that out? Yeah, so Talking Hockey Sense available wherever you get podcasts, and also on YouTube and Flowhockey uh, TV. So yeah, we had did have a pretty lengthy conversation. It's in the back half of the, that particular episode of the podcast. We yep. haven't uh, recorded since then. Uh, we will be recording soon, but uh, yeah, so. It is the most recent podcast on your feed if you are so inclined to download it. Well, and I watched it uh, on the YouTube as well, and uh, I, I I liked the discussion. It was it was neat because you kind of disagreed a little bit uh, with the oh yeah the whole subject, and so I found that interesting. Um, maybe just for the uh, the listeners who don't know what we're talking about, can you give them the uh, the the Coles Notes version or the Cliff Notes? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. We got cold notes in Canada, cliff notes yep. in USA. I'm, I'm glad that you were uh, appreciative of both audiences <laughs> there. But I, I actually know what cold notes are. So, um, but anyway, um, you know, the basics. The basics of it is is that the discussion is starting to become a lot more serious about the possibility of NCAA 
uh, the NCAA essentially allowing CHL players to, to retain eligibility. Um, now, there are going to probably be a lot of caveats to that. It wouldn't count for guys that sign NHL contracts. It wouldn't count for, for certain players that you know are, were European professionals at one point. Although that's also the possibility of that door is possibly going to be opened as well at some point. Um, you know, I think that the, the reason that this discussion is starting is because we're, we're in, in the NCAA. There's been a big push for this name, image, and likeness um, where players can get paid for their name, image, and likeness. Um, some players in, in other sports, not typically hockey, are, are getting significant uh, deals uh, in NILs. There's also these things uh, down here called collectives where they're basically uh, uh, fundraising arms to try to generate funds to pay the athletes to come to a certain school um, and then in return local businesses get you know endorsements or you know charities get help there's there's a lot of different elements to it it's very complicated it's kind of the wild west right now um, because it's you know loosely regulated but is regulated to some degree so yeah. that that's that's kind of pushed this forward so I I know I'm probably going longer than the Coles notes version <laughs> but just to really quickly wrap a bow on it um, essentially I think the reason this push is being made is not necessarily because there are people that particularly want it to happen, but I think that the NCAA is realizing that now that there are more of these kind of situations where there's the line between professionalism and amateurism is further blurred, they're you know potentially open to legal challenges of their current rules, which clearly state at this point that CHL players are not eligible to play in college hockey. Um, now, there have been a few exceptions over the years. Um, most recently, Austin Swankler, who played a full year in the OHL, right. did regain his eligibility. There's a lot of mystery as to why that happened, um, because the, by the rules, should not have been allowed eligibility. Um, but he did play for Bowling Green for two years. Now he's at Michigan Tech. So um, that, that, you know, that case is another situation where it's like, well, what, what, what is the rule and why? is it this way? So, um, yeah, so basically I think that the real reason behind this is because there's some concern that, that a decision such as this would not stand up to, uh, you know, a legal challenge. All right. Well, let's dive into it then. And I guess, uh, from a, from a, a NCAA perspective, I know the coaches are going to vote on it at the end of the season. Do you think that will be an overwhelming, yes, we want that to happen. Or do you think there'll be a lot of people who say no? And who, why would people not want it to happen? Yeah. Well, if you talk to enough college coaches, you start to get the feeling that they don't want this to happen. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And, and, you know, the main, the main reason being that the system as it is now um, currently, you know, is, is working and it actually has been working for college hockey much better over the last 10 years, I would say, where they're starting to get more of the elite players younger um, more players want to play college hockey. Um, we've seen Owen Power, Macklin Celebrini, Adam Fantilli, high-profile Canadian players that, that chose the college route um, and, you know, basically have gone on to become or will become a number one pick in the NHL draft. So so that's one thing. Um, I think that the concern from the college coaches is that the elite players will decide to go, the, you know, the CHL route at 16 and 17, which they're currently – not doing in very large number if they have any designs on potentially keeping their eligibility um, for college hockey. Mm -hmm. And so that allows them to get those players 
at 18 and 19 as opposed to when they're in their 20s. Um, a lot of programs do recruit older because they don't get the elite players, and that kind of levels the playing field. But I think the college coaches, by and large, want to continue to have the elite players to continue you know, increasing the entertainment value, the interest, and uh, you know, the, basically the, the, the way that it's been working for the last couple of years is you know, I think the college product has probably never been better. So um, that's, there's a concern with this change that would change that. Um, the other thing is, too, is you know, increasing the recruiting landscape to a certain degree um, really does create a lot of financial challenges as well. Um, you know, you, it's just, it's already so expensive to recruit and now you're kind of expanding the player pool by several, you know, hundred to a thousand players, you right. know, so that's, that's another element of it. Um, but, you know, I, I, I also think that the, the, nobody really understands how this is going to impact all the other levels of hockey, how it in, would impact the USHL, how it would impact the Canadian junior hockey league, the BCHL and in whatever, you know, format it is at this point. So, you know, that's, that's the thing that also remains to be seen. So I think, you know, change is actually often very scary. It's really scary to coach it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's especially scary to them. So um, I, I, I think that there's a, there's a push to, to not allow this to happen, but I really don't think in the end it's going to matter. I don't think that the coach's decision is necessarily going to, significantly alter the path forward for such a rule. So there are some coaches that are for it, um, but there are certainly some coaches that are vehemently opposed to it and will say as much when they get to, to their meetings in, in the spring. Interesting. Uh, I want to go back to you were talking about the ages there for a minute. You were talking about 16, 17-year-olds, and then the college guys could get them at 18, 19. I don't talk to the co college coaches nearly as much as you do, but when I have, most of them tell me they want guys coming at 19. Uh, guys coming out of high school, they'd prefer them to play a year of junior. That would usually be the USHL and then come to their program. So they're a little bit more mature and well prepared. If you're talking about getting guys at uh, 18, that seems to go opposite of what I was just talking about. Uh, that take, that surprises me. Yeah. So I would say the vast majority, for the vast majority of players, that is true. They would want them to spend more time in junior hockey and arrive to college earlier. Macklin Celebrini didn't need to spend another year in the USHL, but like, let's say he does decide, all right, I'm 17 years old. I'm going to play, or, you know, even last year when he was 16 and decided to play for the USHL instead of going to the WHL. Right. He's, you know, this is a player that is a significant difference maker at the college level. Um, and Boston university would not be in the position that they're in without him. And so those are the types of players that, the, that I think coaches fear they will miss out on if this rule goes through. Because instead of playing his 17-year-old season in college, you know, maybe Macklin Celebrini decides to play it in junior hockey. He plays well enough. He gets drafted first overall. He never sees a college, a college game, never sees a college campus. Sure. Um, you, you know, and I think for a lot of players that want to keep the focus on hockey after they graduate as well and say, you know, an NHL team drafts a player – and signs them, they, they're sending them to the CHL, not necessarily because of the development, you know, the, there, there are the developmental benefits of this player. Okay, well, now he can just focus solely on hockey. Um, we can have more contact with him. We can, you know, have our guys work with him. We're not, he can come to all of our camps, all these different things. So, um, so yeah, so I think that that's another portion of it. Um, I think there's a concern that the elite player, as in, instead of going to the USHL, like a Macklin celebrity, he might go, to the WHL still have 
plans to play college, plays well enough, signs an NHL contract, and then never comes. So I think that's the other fear that that's going around right now. I, I would suggest uh, Celebrini as an example is uh, he's not quite a unicorn, but he's up there. Um, that's a pretty right, right. rare situation that a 17 year old true freshman is like outstanding like this. I mean, right? Like, yeah, that he is a unicorn. Yeah, that's there's no question. But I would also say. Like the the top, look at the top freshman scorers in college hockey right now. Sure. Many of them first round draft picks, many of them American who are going to college as true freshmen. You know, if they have an alternative option or if an NHL team sees an opportunity to sign them earlier and, and, ha- and simply have them play in the CHL, that's also another thing. So um, I think that's, that's part of it is I, I think really we're talking about a, a much wider swath of players. They're, they're the smaller percentage in the grand scheme of things. But those are the players that are driving the interest and the bus in in terms of, you know, increased interest in college hockey. I think that that's that's there's no question about it. You need stars, and you might have fewer if those guys don't go to college. All right, I think that's fair. Uh, I would suggest probably the the guys who played in the program that level of player would still continue to play in the program because that's such a unique situation uh, right. where you're playing against international competition and. You're, you're getting to play against collegiate competition. I wonder if the program stays within the USHL, though. We were talking briefly about how lower leagues would be impacted by this, and I would suggest the USHL would be hit pretty hard uh, by that. Would the USHL still be the home for the, the development program, or would the development program look for somewhere else because the competition level isn't quite good enough? Well, you know, I think a lot of it would be kind of determined by the NHL really in that regard, because the NHL has a pretty significant say in the landscape of junior hockey, because they give a lot of money to the CHL, to the NTDP, to the USHL, to college hockey even. Um, And, and so there is, you know, a a significant, so they want to have a say in this. Obviously if the landscape changes beneath their feet, they want to have some control in how that's going to look. So, you know, what I would say is that I think that, you know, the USHL is probably going to have to get really creative and then, you know, how they're not necessarily super far removed from major junior in terms of how they operate, right? Like they're, the, the, the biggest difference is that players under NHL contract cannot play in their league, which does right. have a significant impact on the talent level and, the, and in terms and the continuity of the league as well, which is something the CHL doesn't have as much of a, a problem with because they keep their better players longer, typically because also the USHL is sending guys to college. Yes. And I also want to say before I, before I talk about the NCDP is that I think you're exactly right. There are still going to be players that their preference is, I dreamed about going to Boston University my whole life. I'm going to go to Boston University and I'll, and I'll play whatever route allows me to make that happen. Um, and so I think that that will still be the case and the guys that want to play in the NTDP, they will still choose that because it's, you know, basically the most proven developmental route for an American player that there's been essentially, um, with this, the sheer number of draft picks that they've, they've put forth. So, um, so that's true. I don't necessarily know exactly how things are going to change in terms of, of how the NTDP is, but what I can just tell you is like a, a short history lesson when the NTDP started, they played a, an even more mixed schedule than they play now. They played colleges, they played CHL teams, they played USHL teams, they played North American League teams. They've been full member in the North American League, a full member in the USHL. So it's kind of changed throughout the years, and it's always constantly evolving. I think USA Hockey, the NHL, and then the USHL in concert would probably try to determine the best path forward for something like that. 
Um, I don't think it would be imminent. I don't think that the, the change would happen um, exceptionally soon. But, you know, and I, and I would say that if, if this does impact, you know, junior A or tier one junior hockey league, um, then yes. I mean, I think that there could potentially be changes such as that. Um, you know, I think it also will be interesting to see, you know, if, if we have this situation where, you know, these players in the CHL are no longer eligible uh, or, or still have NCAA eligibility, I think there's the possibility that you would see the USHL change its own rules to allow players under NHL contract to play in their league so long as it doesn't impact the eligibility of the other players as it does now. Mm-hmm. So that's another factor that, that could come into play. How does this shift in terms of how those junior leagues operate and it, within their rules? So, I mean, we're talking about a potentially seismic change to the entire junior hockey landscape within you know, one decision. And I think that the interesting thing is, is that who, you know, in the end, the NCAA is going to have the ultimate say of who is and isn't eligible within their, their program. I mean, the NCAA may not exist in 10 years, the way things are going, and it might just all be conference by conference and everybody makes their own decisions and they're all small businesses or not really small businesses, but hmm. that's what we're, that's what we're kind of talking about. So, you know, think these things can, can change pretty quickly. And I think really nobody is sure and or can say with certainty exactly what's going to happen. Chris Peters from Flow Hockey is my guest. Uh, look at it from an NHL team's perspective. Now, if you if you draft a player, um, do you maybe not sign him so that he's eligible to play college hockey still? And you almost treat that as uh, maybe they have to adjust the the length of time that uh, a CHL player. You know, it's two years right now. Maybe it becomes four years, right? Uh, so he can go to play college. But you kind of use that as almost like minor league to the American Hockey League. Uh, by playing against bigger, stronger guys in college, uh, as you know, as nineteen or twenty-year-olds at that point, do you think that's a, a possibility? I think it is a possibility, though. In my experience, the things that NHL teams love more than anything is complete control. <laughs> so, you know, and and that's and and the best way to get that is to sign a player to a contract when you when you feel firmly that that's a player worth investing a contract in. Obviously, knowing that that you have a limited number of contracts to give out in a given year, so. Um, I do think that that'll be an interesting kind of dynamic. I think it would happen for certain players. I, again, I think like the, the high, the highest end players in college hockey might sign contracts sooner than they are now, which would be problematic for the, for the product. But I, I do think that uh, that is something that NHL teams could consider. I mean, they're, they're doing it now with their players that are on the college route. There are plenty of guys that they could sign after their freshman year, but they pump the brakes and say, Hey, not yet. Let's, get you back for another year or that player decides to go back for another year like Owen Power did, you know, so there are a lot of different kind of factors um, that, that come into play. And I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's just challenging. You know, the other thing that I'm, I'm intrigued by is if this whole thing happens, you know, what is, what about the, the AHL, all these other things, you know, can you start putting players that played a certain route in the AHL, you know, like that's just, it, it's crazy how, how many different things could change from just one decision. Yeah, that's true. We really don't. It, I mean, we're talking about hypotheticals and trying to envision right, right. five, we're, ten years from now. <laughs> yeah, it's all speculation at this point because you know we 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 can't know because this this is all we've ever known, right? Or you know, and it's changed over the years from here or there. But I mean, this is really the the way it's been for so long. It's going to be a pretty significant adjustment for everybody to figure out exactly how this impacts things. Going to look at it from a CHL perspective for a second. Uh, and out of the WHL, there's a player named Trevor Wong. Uh, he plays for the Saskatoon Blades. He's one of the top scorers in the league. Undrafted. He's 20 years old now, or he's in his 20-year-old season. So his 
It's his last year of eligibility. Uh, back when he was 15, 16, he was committed to Denver. He was supposed to go play for the Pioneers, and then he was drafted by Kelowna and decided he'd play closer to home. Uh, a player like that, I would think there would be 62 NCAA teams who would love to get that guy now because he's uh, obviously a, a super offensive talent and he's undrafted. Which college coach would not want a guy like that? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think this is definitely uh, a great opportunity for those teams to secure those players, and I think that the, the, it'll be a more palatable you know, step for some of those players not to take anything away from U Sports and, and the incredible job that they've done and the improvement in that level over the years. You see plenty of guys that come into pro hockey after, you know, really good uh, careers in, in U sports and, you know, it's the ECHL or AHL, they're getting opportunities that way. Um, but, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think you're exactly right. That there are definitely teams that would want that. I think that the concern would be if it ends up being all players like that, where there's a 20 year old player that's played out the string in junior hockey. And then, you know, he basically plays college hockey, plays 24, 25 years old. You know, is that, you know, what are they really doing what they initially set out to do in terms of, you know, college athletics? I think it's already kind of at that point already. There are plenty of guys with the COVID year, we saw 26 year old seniors. So, you know, it's, it's certainly not, um, it's, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. But I do think, like, uh, Trevor Wong's a great example of a player that I think would have every program going at him and and you know he can kind of pick his next spot and then i think he also extends his pot potential for you know earning an nhl contract yes um you know player like him going to that level and if the level is still you know close to what it is now um then that would be you know attractive for nhl teams i think it extends you know some of those guys once they're 24 25 there's less interest in signing them to a free agent contract because they're they're already kind of past prime years where you think that they're going to continue to develop but i think in general you know, any time, anything that gives a player a longer timeline to continue to showcase their talents is a good thing, I think. Yep, no, I would agree with that, too. Uh, expansion of uh, college hockey teams, I mean, we're up, to, I think I said 62. Is it actually 62 right now? It might actually be 63? I think it's, yeah, I can't remember how many Stonehill makes. They're, they're, I think it's 63, yeah. So, but it's, it's yeah, and, and it's been interesting. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's about, 62, 63 teams right now. I know, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that we're, that we're seeing like Navy and Illinois, and uh, there's a would it be Iowa State that's closest to you that uh, is talking about it as well? I mean, we could get up to 70 here, not that far from now, and you, you need talent pool. Yeah, you know, I think the interesting thing is going to be the expansion of the Big Ten in football and basketball um, with obvious hockey connections you know they they have schools that have you know really good programs and in club level um you know will some of those schools dip their toe into hockey you know i think there's been talk of nebraska iowa um you know uh schools like that now you have usc ucla um oregon washington you know so there's certainly i'm sure conversations about expanding um, offerings. And, and I think the one thing that I would say about, you know, if CHL players become eligible, I think it expands the player pool in such a way that where that becomes more palatable, because I think that we're starting to stretch the limits right now um, based on the players that are coming in. You look at the widespread of, of competitiveness and some of these, you know, I think it's a kind of unfair to say that because some of the programs that have, have expanded are small schools with limited athletic um they, they don't have the budgets to compete with the top programs that get all the best players. So it's really, 
you know, they're, they're division one, but they don't have a conference. They don't really have a path forward necessarily for most of the players that play there. And so, you know, it's, it, as of right now, we're kind of in a weird state, but uh, you know, I do think that there's uh, th- that if this ruling does come to pass, that the player pool widening only increases the opportunity to become competitive and really, most importantly, these big schools, they want to be able to make money off of their hockey programs like Penn State has um, to a certain degree that Arizona State has. You know, so they want to make those kind of moves. Um, and, and in order to do that, you have to be competitive pretty quickly. And I think expanding the player pool does allow that potential to, you know, that increases the potential of competitiveness quicker. Chris, is there an aspect of this we haven't really talked about yet? I know there's so many moving parts, and again, it's all a lot of it's speculation, but is there something that we haven't covered? Well, you know, I think the interesting thing that, you know, as we've initially talked about this is, you know, how much influence the NHL is going to have um, and can have. I think when it comes to the NCAA decision-making, they have no say, really, in terms of what happens. They kind of only can respond and react to what happens. Right. Um, but but there's no question that the NHL over the last 20, 20 years, I'd say, have really invested in the development of the leagues beneath them, the leagues that are, are feeding players to them. And the NHL is, knows that that is the lifeblood of their operation. It's a big reason why we continue to see. I mean, I, mean, I think the skill level and the talents of players now is greater than it's ever been in the history of the game. And it will only continue that way because of the work that's being done at the at the grassroots level so the thing is is that this is a situation where they really can't dictate anything to anyone aside from the response i know there's been talk about you know some of the people and there's all sorts of wild speculation around there i've heard people say you know the chl won't let players leave until they're 19 years old i was like well how is that going to stand up to a legal challenge the same way that any the nh or the ncaa is saying Oh, well, we we're, we're concerned about litigation that this is going to actually, you know, impact our, you know, we, we, we don't want to have to go to court to defend amateurism because quite frankly, the definition definition is practically out the window at this point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that that's kind of the interesting dynamic here is that, you know, what kind of rules and response. And I, and, you know, I don't think there's been a lot of discussion among the, parties you know where everybody's in a room and it's you know people from the nhl and the chl and the ncaa i don't i just don't think that 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 has happened or will happen um so it's going to be a read and react situation which is also a little bit you know concerning because you know the decisions you make in the early days could have a pretty significant impact on you know where this all goes so um so that's the thing that i think is is particularly interesting is that you know, this might be a thing where a decision's taken out of anybody's hands, and, and now you have to kind of find a way to make it work that right. that works for everybody. And you know that that that's rarely something that is easy to do. Well, it's a really intriguing scenario. It's very complicated, and it's going to be uh, pretty interesting to see how it plays out over the next uh, three, five, ten years. Oh, is that the type of time frame we're we're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I I really think that this decision could come sooner than later. I, I think you know, three years sounds about. Right. I would say at this point, nothing is imminent. Nothing is decided. Um, but the preparations are being made now because and as we've seen in college athletics over the last couple of years, things can change within hours because we, we had a we had a Pac-12 and then suddenly we had no Pac-12 within about 48 hours. Hmm. So, you know, that's that's kind of how 
things have gone in this Wild West kind of restructuring of the NCAA, and I think that more change is going to come. So whatever you think is going to happen might happen, um, and it might happen a lot faster than anybody is expecting it to. So, um, so yeah, so we'll see. I, I think it's going to be very interesting, and it is absolutely, to me, the biggest story in junior hockey in terms of the landscape. And there have been a lot of them this year. Mm-hmm. And there are obviously some things off the ice that are extremely important to continue talking about. But we are talking about the potential drastic change of, of hockey as we know it beneath the NHL. Well said. Chris Peters from Flow Hockey. What do you got coming out at Flow uh, over the next little bit? Oh, boy. We got lots. Uh, draft rankings are, are due out soon. I've been putting it off and putting it off, mainly because I've been on the road so much. But uh, it's not giving me a lot of time to write. But we've got draft ranking, a lot of new videos. Uh, I was just at the Five Nations uh, for uh, the U18s, and so we got to see some of the top draft prospects there. A lot of interviews with them. A lot of NHL draft features as well. So, uh Tons of NHL draft coverage, really, from here on out, and certainly uh, college hockey and junior hockey coverage uh, throughout the rest of the season. So flowhockey.tv is the place to get all that. There's going to be so much coming out in the next few months here from us. Looking forward to it. Awesome, and uh, looking forward to having you back on the show in the near future once again. Chris, thank you for again for your time. All, all, all my pleasure, Guy. Thanks so much for having me. Here's Chris Peters from Flow Hockey with his thoughts on the whole uh, CHL NCAA conversation. If you haven't heard that uh, chat that he had with uh, Brad Schlossman, I uh, recommend that you go check that out on the YouTube. That's a talking hockey sense. You can look that up. Follow Chris on uh, the uh, Twitter or X. Chris M. Peters is where you find him. Those are two media guys following the college game closely that I have on a pedestal. Two of the best. So when they talk about this happening, and they took two different perspectives on it, so a good debate there. Not really a debate, but good perspective from both sides. And that's why I wanted to have Chris on this week. Maybe I'll have Brad on uh, in the near future, and we can talk about it from his perspective as well. Last week I had Jimmy Connolly on. We didn't talk about that. We were focused on the bean pot. But tonight, after that conversation with Chris, he tweets out, and I'll uh, quote this, According to a source familiar with the discussions, the potential NCAA legislation that would allow CHL hockey players to play college hockey after major junior does not have a strong support among Division I coaches and athletic directors. Likely a dead issue. That according to Jimmy Connolly. Now you go back to what Chris said about whether the coaches want it or not, it might be a kind of above them where this decision gets made in terms of legality. So... Lots of discussion still to be had on this subject. And for most of us, all we can do is kind of watch and see how it all plays out. All right, when we come back, I know I have at least one 2024 Draft Spotlight guest uh, coming up, but I don't know officially if that is my next guest or not. So tell you what, we'll find out together when we come back. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can get it in three Edmonton and area locations, Leduc, Spruce Grove, or West Edmonton Mall. And, of course, you can have it shipped to you anywhere in Western Canada by going to wilhockbeefjerky.com. We'll be right back. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. Second unit on. Divine centering. Tip. Score! Rieger Lorenz. First collegiate goal, one nothing Denver. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. She looks so fine, 
passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Score. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. You know, I hear the camera adds 10 pounds. Looks like you've eaten five cameras. Back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming as we get set to turn on the 2024 draft spotlight and get to know another player that is eligible for the upcoming draft. But uh, first, quick reminder, the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it throughout Western Canada by going to Wilhock Beef Jerky. Dot com. Unfortunately, my next guest, uh, too far away, won't be able to get some beef jerky, but uh, we're going to the USHL, and one of the uh, top guys rated out of that league for the draft this year is John Mustard from the Waterloo Blackhawks. Uh, John, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Not draft eligible, though, so uh, your life a little bit more exciting than mine right now. Um, tell me tell me about this season uh, for, for you and the uh, Blackhawks. Yeah, I think it's been a very exciting season. A lot of ups and downs for myself and the team. We've gone through some rough patches, and we've had some some exciting games as well. For you, on a personal level this season, uh, I'm looking at a, a stat sheet, 40 points in 39 games, almost bang on a, a point-per-game player, slightly better than that, 22 goals this year as well. Uh, and that's uh, This is a rookie season in the league for you. I don't know what your expectations were at the start of the year, but safe to say you're pretty happy with the way things have gone? Yeah, I mean, the main goal this year was just to get a, a good role on the team and just contribute as much as I could. I wasn't too worried about how much, I w- how many points I would get and stuff like that. But I think I've been pretty happy with the way the year has gone so far. And the team uh, pretty secure in terms of a, a playoff spot. So uh, the season that way is going pretty well. Have your line mates been the same couple of guys all season long, or has that changed a lot? Um, I've been playing with Thorson for the the uh most of the season but uh Lindbergh and uh Altrichter are two line mates I, I also played with and I like playing with those two guys. Okay. Well the chemistry seems to be working with you and Gavin Thorson for sure. Uh what is it about that partnership that seems to click? He's definitely a pass first guy, so it's pretty easy to play with him. He gives you the puck in the right areas, so it's not too hard to score goals when you're getting those. Well your point production per almost even split, twenty two goals, eighteen assists do you see yourself as more of a shooter than a, than a setup guy? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little bit of both, but I would say a little bit more of a shoot-first guy, especially on this this team. Yeah, and that was my next question. Is that just because of who your line mates are and maybe they're the setup guys more than shooters, so that kind of that role falls to you uh, to be that finisher? Is that fair? Yeah, I think I've ad- adapted to playing with the line mates I have been playing with, but yeah, I agree. Well, not that long ago, you had a four-goal effort against a, a Sioux City. Uh, when you have a night like that where everything seems to be going in, you kind of want to bottle that and, and bring that every game, isn't it? But uh, you can't obviously do that. But a, a four-goal game like that must have been pretty exciting. Yeah, it was, it was pretty nice. You know, some of, some of the games there, you, you feel like everything's going for you, but you, you know that it's not going to be like that every game. But it's nice to have a couple of those. John Mustard is my guest, a forward with the Waterloo Blackhawks out of the United States Hockey League. 
Uh, John, the uh, Pipeline Show, it's a junior and college hockey show, so my regular audience will be familiar with the uh, with the USHL and, and the Blackhawks, but there will be a lot of casual NHL fans who will tune into this segment uh, and not care anything about junior hockey, but because you're a draft-eligible player, they'll want to know a little bit more about you. So maybe let's start at the beginning. Uh, and I, I'm curious about this answer myself because uh, on one sheet I see you're from Newmarket, Ontario. Another sheet I see says you're from New Jersey. Uh, what's the actual story? Yeah, so I uh, I grew up in Newmarket, Ontario in Canada, and I moved to New Jersey when I was about eight or nine years old. So are you a dual dual citizen or are you Canadian who just happened to be living in the States? I'm just a Canadian citizen. So if it came to international hockey, you'd be playing for Canada? Yeah, that's uh, correct. All right, very good. Just curious because the USHL website lists you as coming from uh, New Jersey. So you've been there for the last, well, for basically half your life now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, do you remember how old you were when you first started playing hockey back in Newmarket? Yeah, I was pretty young. I'd say like maybe four, three or four years old. So pretty much grew up with it. And who got you into hockey at such a young age? Uh, I think it was kind of a given where I grew up, but I think uh, uh, my dad was a, was a big uh, part of that decision for sure. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I have a sister. I have one older sister. Okay, did she play at all? No, she didn't. She she was involved in a couple other sports, but she she kind of uh, just um, like now she's just a university student in uh, in Canada. Okay, very good. Uh, you're a forward now. Have you always been a forward, John, or did you try other positions uh, along the way? Yeah, pretty much only been a forward. I mean, I tried playing goalie for a game that didn't that didn't work out too well, but. Yeah, I've been a forward most of my life. Well, it sounds like there's a story there. Uh, can you remember that game? What do you remember about it? Yeah, it was just a, a spring game. I, I just uh, threw on our goalie's pads and stuff and tried to get in there, but didn't didn't have a great game. So this is what, you're about eight years old or something, or how old were you? Yeah, probably like probably like 10 years old. Uh, let in a bunch? Yeah, yeah. I didn't have many, many saves there. <laughs> uh, well, then you moved to New Jersey. Tell me about hockey in New Jersey and and what that level was like. Did did you find that it was, I don't know, a step behind from where you were playing, or were you surprised by the quality of play there? No, I was pretty surprised. I mean, I played for the same program growing up all the way until last year, so I was in a really, I was really fortunate to be in a great program there, and the competition was really good. Actually, there's a lot of really really high 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 performance teams around there. This is the North Jersey Avalanche program. Yeah, yeah. Well, 117 points last year uh, on a U16 team in 65 games almost sounds like uh, they were, they were playing without goaltenders that that season or something. That's a lot of points. Yeah, I mean, it was we we played a we played a pretty good schedule. I mean, there were some there was a few blowout games, but it was it was, I thought it was really good for my development last year. Did you, did you know all the time that uh, you, your next step would be uh, the USHL, or did you have thoughts about going back to Canada and playing in the OHL? Or I'm not sure if a team up there is holding your rights or not. Ever since I uh, I moved to New Jersey, I kind of made it a goal of mine to play in the USHL and go to college. So I think I was kind of set on making that my priority for sure. Uh, why Providence for you? Uh, I mean, it's certainly a good program. Nate Lehman, a really highly respected coach, so it's not a question of uh, – Oh, why really? But why was it the right fit for you? Yeah, it just felt right for me. Like the coaches, they they really just fit to the like the kind of coaches I want to play for. And obviously, the hockey program is really really good. And I think I'll it'll really help me round out my game for sure. 
Uh, and when will you go? The one sheet I'm looking at says it won't be until the 2025-26 season. So do you have another year uh, before you can go, or is that uh, potentially next year will you uh, join the Friars? The plan is to to join the Friars next year. Okay. Next uh, hockey. Tell me about the USHL for you and, and what that level has been like. It, has it been what you expected, or has there been challenges that you didn't anticipate? How would you describe this season uh, for yourself? maybe more off the ice than on the ice. What's it been like? I mean, yeah, like obviously first year living away from home and, yeah. and like been used to just hockey, hockey, hockey. So it's been a pretty big, pretty big jump from playing 16U hockey, living at home. But I think it's been really good for me as a person and as a player. I mean, the, the hockey, obviously, I kind of expected it to be a big jump and, and it definitely was. What's a what's been a career highlight uh, for you so far in terms of hockey? If you looked at you know if you had a resume or something like that, and you listed all your accomplishments or tournaments you played in or something like that, what would what would one or two of the big moments be for you? I honestly think it's just making the USHL as a seventeen year old and kind of earning my spot on the team because I I kind of I knew it would be a that was kind of my goal ever since I got drafted, so it was really. It really felt good to accomplish that. Obviously, I didn't have much time to to celebrate it. I had to try to keep earning my spot on the team, but it was definitely a big accomplishment for me. Well, it's definitely uh, working out pretty well for you uh, in terms of the NHL draft. I mean, people are uh, ranking you potentially as a late first-round pick or uh, solidly in the second round. That's got to be flattering. Uh, I know when I talk to players on this show, a lot of them will tell me they don't even want to think about the draft. Uh, because they don't want that to become a distraction. Uh, there are a growing number of players who will tell me they'll actually Google themselves to see where they're ranked by certain people or or publications. Uh, what about for you, John? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I I don't look at the projections and stuff like that too much, but I I like to keep it in the back of my head. Just give give me it kind of gives me motivation. I would say I think it's definitely stressful, but I think it it kind of gives me a level of motivation to come to the rink and work hard every day. When you uh, line up against other guys who are draft eligible this year, and there's a couple of them uh, from the USHL, or three or four anyway, that are ranked up in the high end uh, like you are, talking not about the NTDP guys, but, you know, Muskegon's got a couple and and uh, and Chicago's got a player as well. Do you get extra motivation from that, going head-to-head against guys that you might be compared to? Yeah, I've always been a guy that likes to compete against uh, guys you're on the same like category with, so... It's nice. I mean, I like playing against those teams, see how you uh, match up with those guys. So it's always fun. Uh, when it, we're talking about the draft, for those of us who haven't had a chance to watch you play, can you give us a bit of a, a self-scouting report, what we should expect if we were able to tune in and, and watch uh, you and the Blackhawks in action? Yeah, I'd say I'm a, I, I'm a dynamic forward that likes to create space for myself and my line mates and just cre- create chaos all over the ice and uh create turnovers and just just play in the ozone pretty much when you say chaos what does that mean are you a physical guy you like bumping into people yeah i mean i think my game's at its best when i'm when i'm uh uh finishing checks and just creating turnovers i think would be a lot of it and just like taking a lot of shots every game four check tenacity on the four check and a bit of a puck count is that uh sort of the picture yeah exactly okay uh sheet i'm looking at says six foot 184 pounds I don't know if that was at the start of the year or or what uh, you're at right now. Can you give us an update on that? Yeah, I think I'm around. We, we keep our weights pretty 
pretty pretty much the same the whole year. So I think yeah, I'm around that mark still. So six foot, about 185 ish pounds. Uh, we'll say yeah. Uh, before you get to Providence, are there specific things of your, your game that you're trying to fine-tune before you get there so that uh, once you get to college, you're able to have success on the ice? Yeah, definitely. I've been I've been uh, honing in on some of the defensive details. I think those are some things that could really uh, elevate my game when I get to the college level. Uh, what are you going to study academically? Do you know? Um, I'm leaning toward business, but I'm not, not fully sure yet. You got a nickname? Because everybody seems to want to call you the uh, the Colonel, the Colonel Mustard stuff. But do you have a nickname from the guys? Yeah, there is, there is a few nicknames. I mean, uh, Musty is a big one. I sure. think a lot of my team call me that one. But the Colonel, I, I don't know about that one. I think that's mainly just the fans. It's fans here. I don't hear that much on the daily too much. I, I'm not even sure, like, at your age, are you familiar with that board game? I've I've had it explained to me, but I don't really get it too much. Okay, fair enough. Off the ice and uh, and away from hockey, like in the summertime, what do you like to do to kind of relax a little bit, or, or do you do you play other sports in the summer, or how do you spend your time? I did play lacrosse for a long time, so that that was a nice little reset I would I would do, and uh, I think other than that, just golf, hang out with the buddies, and and like a lot of the time is training still, so. Don't get away from the hockey that often. Sure. Uh, you know, it's a question I ask a lot of guys. You're the first one who's actually mentioned lacrosse, which actually surprises me a little bit because I think there's similar skill sets. I mean, certainly you're not on uh, on skates, but uh, you've got the same sort of uh, passing plays and, and um, strategy, at least, I would think, in the physical contact. Do you see a lot of skill uh, that are shared between the two sports? Yeah, definitely. I think it's helped me a lot with even just hand-eye coordination and stuff like that. It's just a really good crossover sport. And you mentioned golf as well. Uh, uh, whenever I get a golfer on, i got to ask uh, what their favorite course is. It doesn't have to be one that's world famous, but you know, a place that you like to play. I mean, honestly, I'm not that good of a golfer, so I don't know, know <laughs> too much about about the popular courses. So, Do you get back up to Canada much? Um, like Usually like once a summer. So not not too much, and I don't golf up there too often. Well, John, listen, this was fun. I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, best of luck the rest of the season with the uh, the Waterloo Blackhawks and whatever happens in the draft. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. I appreciate your time. There's John Mustard, the Colonel from the Waterloo Blackhawks. I don't actually know. It didn't sound like that was a nickname for him. Probably not something that he heard a whole lot of until he got to this level, and now he's getting a lot more media attention and. Uh, of course, somebody put uh, two and two together and came up with John Mustard did it in the hockey rink with the hockey stick. It's right out of clue for those of you who don't know the uh, the board game. Here's a player whose stock seems to be going up as the season goes on. Tony Ferrari, who was on the show last week, has him inside his top 32 right now, as does Ryan Kennedy. So both from the Hockey News have him as uh, a late first rounder. Chris Peters from Flow Hockey looks like he's got him just outside the first round. Everybody else pretty much has John Mustard as a solid second round pick uh, coming out of the USHL by way of uh, New Jersey, by way of Newmarket, Ontario. We got one more segment to go, and it is another draft spotlight. This time it's a goaltender, one of the top young rookie goaltenders out of the Western Hockey League. It's Chase Woodski from the Red Deer Rebels. He joins me next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. 
Hi, this is Landon Furrer of the Red Deer Rebels. Hi, I'm Connor Bleakley. This is Matt Dumba. Hey, it's Adam Uslo. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Hey, this is Grayson Polinchuk. Hey, this is Brandon Sutter. It's Hayden Flurry. Hi, I'm Alex Petrovic. Hi, it's Brent Sutter of the Red Deer Rebels, head coach, general manager, and owner. You are listening to The Pipeline Show. Kings are Edmonton's first choice for family fun. Your Edmonton Oil Kings are back in the thick of it, taking the WHL by storm. And you can be right there cheering them on. Great family entertainment starts at just $20 a seat, or never miss a game with season seats as low as $9 per game. Thrilling Western Hockey League action, amazing theme nights, and special price kids food combos at every home game for $10 or less. The entertainment value is king-sized. Secure your seat for the next action-packed, exciting Oil Kings home game today at oilkings.ca. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hey, everybody. An old man's talking. Final segment to go on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it in three Edmonton and area locations. Or if you're in Western Canada, go to their website and they will ship it to you. That, of course, is WilhockBeefJerky.com. We're going to keep the 2024 draft spotlight turned on and get to know yet another player eligible for the upcoming draft and when it comes to goaltenders well he's getting all the awards these days so you have to think chase Woodski is not going to have to wait all that long to hear his name on draft day uh, chase welcome to the program uh, thanks for having me well i appreciate you making time like this uh, you and the red deer rebels uh, playing some pretty good hockey here uh, as of late i know you've just gone through a bit of a slump but seem to have turned things around a big win over the calgary hitman you got a double header against the oil kings this weekend you've played really well against them as a team this year uh what's the uh the atmosphere and the mood around uh, around the dressing room right now yeah no it's good the boys we're just trying to get our uh minds out of the slump uh stage and get back on the wing track what did it take i mean it was a bit of a slump i think it was six or seven games for the win something like that uh some of that on the road but then you've turned things around so what what changed uh just the boys buying in and it's there's always you're always going to run into a slump uh, there's always ups and downs in the league and ours just came at that time and we're just kind of back on the winning track now and it just took all hard work and buy-in from the boys despite a little slump you're still sitting fourth in the conference right now and just a couple of wins behind uh first place in the division where medicine hat uh, is sitting right now you've played the same amount of games so even despite a slump uh, still very much in the thick of things uh, at the top end of the conference Lots of reasons to feel confident, but when the standings are as tight as they are, you can't take a night off in the WHL this year. No, for sure. The WHL, it's a great league, and there's definitely definitely times where you have to just kind of put your work boots on and go as hard as you can to get all the ones you can. As we're speaking right now, it's a Thursday. You're playing Edmonton on Friday in Red Deer and on Saturday in Edmonton. At this point in the season, a 9-10 save percentage, a 261 goals against average, You've won a couple of WHL goaltenders of the week. In fact, a couple back-to-back. And not just that, but a couple of WHL goaltender of the month awards back-to-back, December and January. So I, I got to think as a, as a rookie coming into this season, I don't know what your expectations were, but I have to think you're pretty happy with the way things have gone for yourself. Yeah, I've been happy with the way I'm playing. Obviously, I always have high expectations for myself. and 
it's just it's nice to see that uh, all my hard work is paying off getting all the or not all of them but all, most of the awards <laughs> and it's good I know most guys are like a team first obviously and as long as the team is having success then that's great but the individual awards must feel pretty nice though too yeah they do and with the individual awards come team success so it helps out the team and it helps out everyone you you got four games in the uh, the dub last year with the Rebels. I wonder how important just that, you know, dipping your toe into the WHL a little bit, testing the waters, how, how much did that help prepare you for this year? Yeah, it was awesome kind of coming into the league and seeing all the guys and all the guys being great on the team and then coming in this year and all the guys are great again. And it's just it helped out a lot with confidence and knowing the team and stuff like that. For a while, I mean, it was a three-headed monster in Red Deer uh, until things uh, kind of sorted itself out. Uh, was that a, a challenge for you to, mentally to, to kind of get over because you weren't sure, you know, what the rotation was going to be like and the fact that it had to be a rotation? Uh, was that a challenge? Yeah, obviously it was a challenge, and it was good to have that challenge too. It was challenged me to be the best that I can be and to prove myself to who I actually can be. Uh, Chase Wutzke is my guest, a uh, goaltender with the Red Deer Rebels. Chase, uh, the, the Pipeline Show, it's a junior and college hockey show. My regular audience will, will know about you, and, and uh, I told you I do color for the Oil Kings, so I certainly am very familiar uh, with uh, you and the Rebels and the league. But there'll be a lot of casual NHL fans who will tune into this segment specifically because you're a draft-eligible player. They might not care or watch junior hockey at all, but they need to know about you because you're a draft-eligible guy. So for that portion of the audience... Maybe let's get some background. Uh, where are you from? What do you call home? Uh, I call home Debden, Saskatchewan. It's a small town, but 150 people, 200 people, and that's where I grew up. Well, it sounds like a small town. I'll tell you right now, the, 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 where I am, it's a little village as well. Probably about the same population, but looks like you got a gas station at least in your town. Uh, that would be, what's oh, about <laughs> northwest of Prince Albert a little bit? Yeah, exactly. About an hour northwest of Prince Albert. All right. And like, I don't know if you probably weren't born there, probably born in PA or something like that, but uh, have been there your whole life? Yeah, exactly. How'd you get into hockey at a young age? When did you start playing? I started playing four years old, and then I started skating with my goalie coach, Kelly Gard, at uh, six years old. And then uh, everything kind of just took off from there. I've been still skating with him till my age now, and started playing spring hockey at a young age and just loved playing goal so that's what i stuck with well kelly guard there's a voice from the past Longtime whl fans will recognize that name <laughs> as a, a pretty accomplished uh, whl goaltender uh, in his day so you've known him basically all your life that's an easy transition i was going to say like who why did you become a goaltender but i guess if you're friends with him uh, at a young age did that help yeah of course he's a big influence on my hockey and he's been great my whole life and he's just a great guy how did he cross paths with him is he from that area too yeah kelly's from pa so okay what was it specifically about being a goaltender that that attracted you to the position i liked going in we're closer to pa so we went and watched the raider games all the time and uh yeah i just loved watching the goalies and it's such a unique uh position and all the equipment but yeah, yeah. everybody gets a painted helmet so you gotta love that. Yeah, I, I, hey, I was a goalie when I was a kid too. It was it was about the gear. It was putting the pads on and kind of being exactly. an, an individual on a team. You're still part of the team, but you're the only goalie on the ice. Uh, so it was a little exactly. unique like that. Yeah. 
Take me back to the uh, the Bantam draft and what that experience was like for you. I talked to a lot of guys on the show who, you know, some guys were at home or some guys were at school. The 2021 draft, I'm trying to remember, I think that was the COVID year. So it was that was like a December draft or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, that was uh, our COVID year, December 9th, the draft was. And I was at home. I had family with me and it was, it was, it was a great day to see my name go across the board and to go to such a good organization like the Red Deer Rebels have here. It's, it was just awesome to see. Yeah. Rebels have produced a lot of, uh, not just pro talent, but NHL talent uh, over the course of their tenure. Uh, and you didn't have to wait long. Second round pick, 40th overall by the Rebels uh, that year. Did you have expectations going into that day that you might uh, be one of the, the first goaltenders taken? Uh, I, I heard people talk about it and I, I didn't really matter to me what happened, where I went, as long as I went there at camp time and put in 110% and just see where it went from there. There's 22 teams in the league, uh, so unless it's PA, pretty uh, good chances that you're moving away from home at a at a very young age, all the way to Alberta. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, going away at a young age, I've been moved away since my first year midget, and I billeted in the city of Saskatoon and it was it was good billeting is a good experience it you definitely get to see uh, a little bit of reality once it comes to that and you have to kind of take care of yourself a little bit more than normally being at home and it's good you have stuff to do and you have to act like a man about it and the billets here have been great and it's been an awesome experience for me brent sutter can be an intimidating guy for for some people i know for even for media people he can be a little intimidating at times i like him we get along really well but uh, as a youngster going in and, and meeting him for the first time was there a little intimidation there yeah of course you know seeing seeing the big name brent sutter and <laughs> hearing all about uh how he how he was in the nhl and stuff like that it was a little intimidating but once you get to know the guys and as long as you stay on his good side, he's a really good guy. <laughs> stay on his good side. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the equipment and painting the mask. Uh, I think the last time I saw you play, I think it was just a solid black mask. Do you got something in the works, or have you changed that already? Well, it, it kind of looks like a solid black mask, but it's carbon black. Okay. It's carbon black with the red deer horns on the side, and I have a stripe going down the middle. And red deer, I kind of wish that uh, they'd let us do what we want with our masks, but <laughs> it's kind of uh, up to It's kind of Brent's say. Okay, yeah, well, hey, there was a time when it was all just solid black or solid white, uh, so I think he's he's loosened yeah. that up a little bit over the last uh, few years. Yeah. But All right, let's talk about the draft. And uh, I mentioned that uh, you're obviously a draft-eligible player. You've known that for a long time. Has this sort of had this season circled on your calendar for, for a few years now? Yeah, no, the season, I knew it was going to be a big season. I'd have to perform to my uh, best of my ability, and I think I've been kind of doing a pretty good job at uh, exceeding my expectations. And it's been, it's definitely been a season that I've had marked on my calendar. Yeah. Chase Wutzke from the Red Deer Rebels is my guest, a draft eligible uh, goaltender. Now in Red Deer, there's a, I mean, you're sharing time in the net uh, with your goaltender partner, uh, Rhett Stoser, uh, and it's a draft eligible year for yourself. You want to play as many games as you can, but you know, that rotation is important as well. And you're basically splitting time. You got 27 games, he's got 24. It's important to have a, a healthy competitive relationship, though, right? Uh, between goaltenders, you're pushing each other. Uh, you certainly want the best for each other. Yet, at the same time, you want to play every game, too, right? 
yeah, exactly. Me and Rhett, we're uh, best of buddies, put it that way. And we're, there's no time that we're uh, not being competitive in practice against each other and stuff like that. But yeah, like I said, we're awesome. He's awesome. And it's just a great com- uh, friendly competition between both of us. Uh, Chase, how much do you think about the draft? A lot of guys will tell me that they don't want to think about it. They don't want it to become a distraction and get them off their game. Uh, but other players tell me that they'll go as far as Googling their, themselves and seeing who's got them ranked where and, and things like that. Are you one or the other? No, I don't pay attention to it. The rankings don't mean nothing until you see your name uh, go off the board, and that's how I put it. Oh, that's interesting. So, like, when Central Scouting comes out with their list, I'm sure guys tell you, like, some of your teammates or something, but you don't actually put a whole lot of – you don't spend a lot of time caring about that? No. You can't let that stuff bother you. I mean, it's good to see see your name on there and stuff and see that there's acknowledgement about you, but you can't pay attention to that stuff. There's lots of media and stuff going around that you never you never really know what's going to be put out there. And who knows? One guy has you put at 100 and one guy has you put at 50. It doesn't really matter. All right. Interesting. I like that answer. Chase, if you were a forward, I could ask you, if, you know, if you're a power forward or, or what sort of forward you are, or defenseman, stay at home, or more offensive-minded. But you're a goaltender. Every goaltender, to some degree, is a a butterfly goaltender and positionally strong and all that. What separates you in your game? What what makes you a little bit unique in between the pipes? Well, I'm athletic. I like to, I like to play fast. I like to play quick. You- Put your nose down and put it to the grindstone is pretty much how I play. Simple as that. Uh, wow. All right. Uh, listed at 6'2 and 160 pounds uh, on the sheet that I'm looking at. I don't know if that's up to date or maybe that was at the start of the year. Uh, what are you at now? I'm both 6'3, same weight though. I mean, height obviously is important. What about weight? Is that a for a goaltender? Like, do you have to get to like 195 or something like that? Will that just naturally come or is that something that you're focused on trying to add weight? Yeah, adding weight is always something that I've wanted to do a little bit, but with uh in season and stuff it's pretty hard. We're pretty at, we're pretty uh uh in the gym lots and sweating out lots of calories. So it's something that I've always wanted to do, but it's for a goalie, I mean, being big and heavy, I mean, it's good and all, but you don't want to be too big and Ryan Miller when he got into the NHL, he was 150 pounds, so Hey, look at that. That's a perfect example then. Yeah. That's nice that you, you have uh, a sense of history for the, the position at the NHL level. Would you consider yourself somewhat of a, a student of the game? Yeah, no, I do for sure. I like I like watching games and I like going back and watching uh, my games when I get my stuff back. And I like to see what I did wrong and I like to see what I did good. So, uh, Chase, this seems like it's um, a... a the start of a, a pretty nice crop of goaltenders coming into the WHL this year. It's yourself and Zach Zahara in, in Medicine Hat and Josh Ravensbergen and up in Prince George. Evan Gardner's having a heck of a season in Saskatoon. You guys are all young goaltenders, rookies this year. Have you got cross paths with these guys in the past? How familiar are you with uh, some of the other goalies your age in the league? Yeah, I haven't really played against many of them uh, because I played in the Saskatchewan Major AAA League and mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but this year when we've played against them, yeah, they've all been good. And yeah, we have a strong, a strong group of goalies this year. Away from hockey, what do you like to do in the summer? Uh, do you kind of get away? It can't be hockey all year round, so uh, when you want to relax or just hang out with buddies and do something else, what do you do? Yeah, I farm, and then I uh, 
uh, go to the lake lots with my friends, do some fishing and stuff like that. Well, I Googled where Debden is, and it looks like there's a lake pretty much for every uh, person uh, in Debden, Saskatchewan, right yeah. there. Like, there's a lot of little lakes around that area, so I'm not surprised oh, yeah. to hear you say fishing. Uh, when you go out, uh, what are you fishing for? Uh, just pickerel and stuff like that, and stuff that's easy to fill it and eat and good-tasting fish. Got anything mounted on the wall? What's the biggest fish you got? Uh, I went flying fishing to Buffalo Narrows once, and I caught uh, uh 18-pounder. <laughs> 18-pound pickerel? Yeah. Wow, that's a monster. Holy cow. Man, outstanding. Uh, Chase, listen, I, I really appreciate your time, Chase. This has been fun. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way the, this season, maybe not this weekend when you're playing uh, the, the Edmonton Oil Kings, but you know yeah. what I mean. Uh, but uh, whatever happens in yeah. the draft, and maybe we'll uh, chat again one day. Thanks for your time. All right, perfect. Thank you very much. Chase Woodski from the Red Deer Rebels. He's ranked 13th in North America by NHL Central Scouting, having a heck of a season. Back-to-back WHL Goaltender of the Month awards for December and January. I know he was the CHL Goaltender of the Month as well. This kid's been on fire as of late, and a big reason why Red Deer, who I think really kind of underachieved in the first half of the season, then they got on a hot streak through December and January and uh, rocketed up the standings. And yes, they did have a, uh, a mini slump here the first couple of weeks of February, but a uh, big win over Calgary, and uh, they're going to look to take advantage of the Edmonton Oil Kings right now, who are also slumping. They could be a real factor. At the start of the year, they were my pick to win the division, and it didn't look really good a couple of months into the season. They're right back at it. I don't know if they'll catch Medicine Hat or not. Eventually, the Tigers will get Caden Lindstrom back as well from injury. It's funny, though, both teams right now being led by rookie netminders. Prince George, same thing. I called him I called him Josh Ravensbergen, but I believe it's Ravensbergen. So my apologies uh, to Cougars fans and to uh, Josh's family if they happen to be listening right now. My bad for that. But rookie netminders in the WHL having some, some pretty uh, impressive seasons. All right, with just three guests this week, that is going to do it for this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Reminder, if you want to be... One of those who has early access to interviews, go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Check to see what it's all about. You can take uh, a seven-day free trial uh, for a test drive. Get instant access to over 800 archived interviews in the vault and see if it's right for you. Every week there's a show. There's uh, three or four interviews and they come out before a full episode does. But only patrons have early access to hear those before a full show comes out. Also a reminder, you can catch the Pipeline Show on Edmonton Sports Talk. Dustin Nelson, Lieutenant Eric, Matthew Awanek, Tom Gazzola, a cast of hundreds that you know from uh, all of our time at uh, TSN 1260 in Edmonton. A lot of the guys teaming up and uh, putting Edmonton Sports Talk together. It's been really successful. You can hear the main shows every day, the main daily shows, and uh, a number of uh, friends of Edmonton Sports Talk with podcasts like this one. Go to edmontonsportstalk.com. You can listen in your car. Just click the old listen live button. You can hear this program on Edmonton Sports Talk on Saturdays and Mondays. Usually it's at noon on Saturdays, 8 p.m. on Mondays. But sometimes, depending on the Oilers playing, uh, they might shuffle things around. So be aware of that. All right, between now and next week, get out and watch some junior college hockey so that we can talk about it right here on The Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Until then... My name is Guy Flaming. See ya.